Hello and welcome to or welcome back to the My Top 10 podcast. Joining me this week is Tien and Duya, who is a comedian and he also uh, presents the Partly Political podcast, which is absolutely fabulous uh, for keeping up to date with politics and laughing at the same time. And he also has the Comedy Club for Kids podcast and also runs uh, sessions as well so children can learn about and get into and also create stand-up. We met at Stephen's house in Finchley, which isn't uh, one of our friends. It's a grade two listed house with extensive landscape gardens. Um, And the gardens are absolutely fabulous. Ten acres they got there. And I was talking later to someone else about this venue and they said that it was somewhere that they'd been to a wedding. So a small world. Tin and subject is children's books. And as another little coincidence, Stephen's house has... A quantum theatre performance of The Wind in the Willows uh, on its grounds the first weekend in August. Anyway, here's the show. So despite the fact that she wanted to get married, she jilted him at the altar. So I'm joined this week by Tiernan Dewyer. Hi Tiernan, how's it going? Hi, <laughs> yeah, good, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Glad to have you on my top ten. Um, so as an introduction, uh, what's your life story in three sentences? Uh, born, meandered, uh, here. Nice. Oh, three sentences, I did it in three words. They so. could be three sentences this is, if you uh, They could be, yeah. I was sort of going for the three words there, but three sentences... Um, Oh, I don't know, that's hard. That's harder than words. Words was easier. Can we stick with words? Let's stick with words, because I've lost count of how many sentences we've had now. Yeah, I've said a lot, haven't I? And also, in those sentences, I haven't told you anything about my life, so if anything, I've really failed on the sentence front. I feel that we know you better, though. Good, good, I'm glad. glad. That's all all what I want. And in terms of career, what are three career highlights? You can have words or sentences. Completely up to you. Uh, Oh, uh, touring with Frankie Boyle, um, most recently. Uh... I think um, years ago, although it's a bit sad now, I got to do a gig with Robin Williams. That was definitely an amazing career highlight. And I need one more. Um, it's really hard to think of all the good... The problem is, as a comedian, you tend to remember all the worst gigs and all the good ones absolutely just disappear from your mind. Of course. Um, I'll, I'll, think, I'll think of the third... We'll come to the third one later. I'm sure it'll be... I'm sure I've done more than two things. Oh, I know. Um, well, the obvious one is Julian Anderson shaving my back uh, during Mark Watson's 25-hour show. See, I think if that had happened to me, my life story in three sentences would have been Julian Anderson shaved my back, Julian Anderson shaved my back, and Julian Anderson shaved my back. Yeah, the, the problem that with it is is that it didn't involve any performance work from me. So like, in terms of career, like I'd say it's more... Well, it's not a highlight for Julian. It's probably a low light. But, it, you know, it was for charity. It's sort of... I feel like I didn't... Uh, contribute to the situation very much other than provide an unnecessarily hairy back. But, you know, that's got to be the highlight of anyone's life, surely, let alone career. 
it was incredible, but it was uh, confusing for teenage me who'd fancied who'd fancied oh my god what is that about uh, who'd fancied Gillian Anderson before most of my teenage life, and then suddenly I find that uh, I'm wearing a dress on stage as she shaves my back using hummus. Like I don't think I don't think I'd have understood that as a teenager. I don't know if I that would have been what I'd have wanted. But you'd have. You'd have been happy with that, I think. Yeah, yeah, she was incredible. She was probably lovely, and uh, the fact that it was her decision to do that is also shows that, you should, that she's a she's got an excellent sense of humour about her. So before we get too X-rated, uh, what is your subject for your top ten? Uh, right, so this is a bit of an indication as to where my life is now, um, because I was trying to think of top tens of all sorts of things, and I find that I have no brain power or ability to remember any of them uh, or make it to the top 10 of anything. Um, so I've chosen um, top 10, with, it's quite complicated because it's children's books, but it's children's books that I can bear to read to my daughter on repeat over and over again in an afternoon without going completely absolutely bonkers. Um, because my daughter is uh, currently 15 months old and she she likes you to read a story and the students finish going more, 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 and then you have to read the story all over again. And there's lots of books that, I mean, it brings you to the verge of insanity because they were terrible the first time round. And on the second, third, fourth, fifth time round, you're just having to work on some sort of like, I don't know, mindfulness techniques. So you're thinking of other things while you're reading them, just anything to get yourself out of this terrible, awful story with terrible sentence structures and rubbish <laughs> pictures and just. You know, there's, there's, I think a lot of people don't realise how much skill there is in writing a good children's book. Like, you know, as much as there is in writing a good book of any sort, but a children's book has to be brief, but also contain, you know, it still needs strong characters, it still needs a lovely message. Well, it doesn't necessarily need a lovely message, but it needs a strong story and, um, you know, good artwork. And, and, and the books, especially some of the ones I've chosen today, have got a sense of humour that works for adults too which just is so needed when that's the person who's going to be reading the thing. <laughs> um, this is something with kids do. My, my daughter watches uh, BBs all the time, and uh, there are certain CBB shows, for example, that have, like, Hey Dougie is absolutely brilliant for adults as well as for kids, because there are at least sort of several jokes every episode uh, that I don't know if kids will get as much as adults do, and it's... You just sort of want to thank them. You just thank you for making my life slightly more bearable. <laughs> yeah. And I think those are most often the successful sort of children's films, aren't they? The ones where uh, the adults who have to take their kids to the cinema to watch some hideous, brightly coloured, loud thing have jokes sort of sprinkled through the film for them that the kids might not necessarily get. I think it's, it's a bit, you know, give and take. There's something for the child, something for the adult, and I think that makes for a successful book or film, doesn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. It's why, I mean, like, it's why Pixar are always sort of brilliant, you know. Um, but also, like, I think uh, the film from the, the other year, uh, which I wasn't even a parent then, I just watched children's films anyway, um, but Paddington, Paddington and Paddington 2, are two of the most beautifully written films. Like, actually, the writing is amazing. The dialogue's fantastic. The storyline's really fun um, and really clever with brilliant villains. Um, and, you know, you compare that to some of the big, sort of, blockbusters uh, and, and I'm a big Marvel films fan but some of them have been terrible and you know or some of the Disney films that have been a bit weak and you know it can be done I, I think there's there's often what I get quite annoyed about and uh, I realise that this could bring a whole different element to the podcast but like uh, Doctor Who for example uh, which I used to be a fan of but one of my issues with it um, is that it's a woman now I'm joking of course not um, but, it, but like a few series ago it when especially when they started making it for America it, it just became more stupid like the writing became 
more, um, what's the word, it, full of exposition, full of needs to over-explain rather than let your imagination run. And I always felt like children don't need that. Children still need good writing, a good story, because they've got an imagination and they understand how things work and they don't need you to spell every single thing out for them. You know, they want real characters as well. And, and I think Paddington was a perfect example for that because, like, those films were just... They were beautiful, they were heartwarming, they were quite emotional, but they were really funny and really sharp. And uh, I just sort of, especially with all like, the work we do, or I do with Comedy Club for Kids and the comedians that I work with on that, and the whole point of that is stand up for kids that isn't patronising. And it could totally be done. You know, we've got all these comedians that do a 20 minute set for kids and they don't swear and they don't seem rude and they cover subjects that kids understand, but it's not dumbed down, it's not stupid. You just think, this is, that's what's needed. You know, I've, I've, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I get, I get really on a high horse about this, as you probably know. <laughs> My daughter's only 15 months. Can you imagine how unbearable I'm going to be when she's like five or six? She's going to hate be desensitised by then. <laughs> so when you're doing ki- uh, the comedy for kids, do you feel the need to sprinkle jokes in for adults as well that might sort of go over the kids' heads? Or is it all sort of, right, adults, if you get some of this and enjoy it, then great. If you don't, it's not for you. Shut your mouth. No, I, I, yeah, I, I don't sprinkle in as many jokes for parents. I try and make jokes that I think would work on both for both. So uh, there's a nice thing with comedy club kids where children laugh if their parents are laughing because they feel like they should, and parents laugh if their kids are laughing because they're just overjoyed that they're laughing, right? And um, that's not always. There's obviously many exceptions to that rule, but um, there are fantastic comedians, comedians like Howard Reed, who's so good at children's comedy, but he will throw in a few that absolutely just crude references that the parents will get, and I applaud him for that. Um, I'm not good enough to do that. I do jokes that I just think parents will find funny as well as the kids. And um, I've got a few bits. I've got one at the moment that's about kids wanting to always wanting to go to bed late and I sort of say to them you know do you know what you would get to see if you stayed up late do you know what amazing sight you'd get to see and they'll go no what and I sort of say your parents being exhausted and that's for the parents that's not for them. the kids don't really find that funny but the parents do you know that's, so there's bits like that but it's still on a level that children understand um so yeah it's it's hard I don't think it's easy to do jokes that are I don't think it's easy to do jokes that appeal to both and I don't think it's easy to do jokes that go over kids heads and work for adults without adults feeling concerned that the children might understand it you know and do you have any uh, memories when you were a child sort of linking it back into the top 10 of being read particular stories or of uh, requesting certain stories or anything like that yeah there's quite a few there's one I've got on my list actually that I still read to my daughter and there's another one that um, I would have had on my list but my daughter really recently tore it to pieces uh, my old copy of it and and I now don't but it was uh, the Edward Lear's Quangle Wangle Wee is is particularly silly and I really like that Um, but I used to love Spike Milligan books Um, there was a Spike Milligan book oh gosh what's his name now is it Jenny Jenny the dog or Jenny the pup Um, I've probably got that wrong Uh, everyone can write in and complain and I just remember there's a scene where he meets the three penguins one with a trumpet one with a drum and one with a pancake stuck to his bum and that would make me howl with laughter just constantly I need to read that bit 15 times over (laughs) (laughs) well that age any bum is you know it's hilarious hilarious. but also the idea I think there's also like uh, you can probably read too much into it but the fact that one of them has a trumpet one of them has a drum and the third one has decided his contribution to that musical ensemble is have a pancake (laughs) stuck to his bum like that's an incredible idea it's not just a joke about a bum it's a joke about this one of them is that stupid or is that inventive 
that his idea of music is sticking. Well, it's an Edinburgh show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Waiting to happen. <laughs> and I just, I love that kind of, you know, sinless. But then when, when I was a kid, like, uh, not very young, obviously, but my parents just sort of brought me up watching, well, you know, there wasn't obviously a CBeebies, there was a, you know, kids' afternoon of TV shows or whatever, but, you know, I would watch uh, Monty Python, I'd get to watch Friday Night Live on there, on, on, you know, with Alexi Sam and all that, which was a bit late. Oh, sorry, I was a bit older, but... You know, you, you grew up with adult comedy and you learn to find it yourself. And then as a teenager, you got to find, like, I found Brass Eye and the, and the Day to Day and all those kind of things that were on late night that, you you know, you, you had to sort of discover were on. And now everything's so sort of set for specific ages. So CBBS is for the young age, then CBBC, and then BBC Three is for teenagers. And so you don't get to discover all the different types of humour that would be for all ages, you know, or the things that um, you might love but you don't know yet. You know, I, I think everything's so segregated. And I understand why it needs to be done because we've got so many channels and, you know, in, in some ways it does string... I mean, the fact that I can leave CBeebies on for an hour and know my daughter's safe when she is, <laughs> is a joy. But I, I do, it limits you at, at other times, you know. And uh, I sort of feel it's a shame that we kids don't get to just explore. I mean, I say that. They've got YouTube. They probably watch all sorts of crap. Uh, this is how it's again it was only 15 months I've yet to understand how all this worked even Minecraft will be gone by the time she's of an age that she'd appreciate it things change so quickly don't they yeah 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 it'll probably be some virtual reality construction thing that I won't understand yeah I'll lose her for days that only fine I'll get some peace and quiet nice and be things that we've not even conceived yet so your top 10 is it uh, a ranked list or is it just a Sort of. Selection. It's definitely the top two. I definitely the top two, and then after that, it gets a little bit more varied. Um, mainly because I have tired parent brain, and I couldn't really work it out <laughs> after that. <laughs> this is everything I do and say at the moment is based on not having had enough sleep for the last fifteen months. So you know, you have to take that into account. I'm sure it'll be fabulous. Let's let's get on with the first uh, the first item on the list. Um, the first item is, I think, the greatest children's book that currently exists, uh, which is called I Want My Hat Back by John Classen. And uh, he also does the artwork because he's brilliant. And um, this book, I, I was going to say I'm ashamed to say, but I'm not ashamed to say whatsoever. I liked this book before I was a parent because uh, me and my wife are both massive children. And we would regularly read books in the children's sections of bookshops or in the library <laughs> because... Sometimes, as I said, the, the creativeness and inventiveness of them is, is missing from adult humour sometimes. Um, not always, but sometimes. And um, I Want My Hat Back made us laugh so much when we saw it. Uh, it had a big bear on the front cover, which saw, I can see what this is like. And uh, that we then ended up, subsequently, they did a show at the National Theatre, uh, which was for kids. But we went, and uh, Marek Larwood was in the main role as the bear. Um, if you, do you know Marek, a stand-up comedian and, and character actor? And he was so good. Uh, as a bear who's lost his hat, it was fantastic. Um, but this book is, is very simple. It's about a bear who wakes up and his hat has gone. And he asks a series of animals, have you seen my hat? And they have a series of replies, everything from I saw a hat once and it was blue and round. No, that's not my hat, thank you anyway. Or uh, my favourite, which is an armadillo who just says, what is a hat? Mm. Uh, that's the voice I read it in. And, uh, <laughs> and he meets a rabbit who says, uh, while wearing a red pointy hat, I've never seen a hat before, I don't know what a hat is, I've never seen a hat before, please don't ask me any more questions, thank you, bye. And the bear says, thank you anyway, and walks off. And it's only later when somebody says, what does your hat look like? He says, it's 
red and pointy. Oh wait, I have seen my hat. And he races back to meet the rabbit and the, the panel is simply him staring at the rabbit, the rabbit wearing the hat staring at him. And the next panel is the bear sitting there wearing his hat, saying, I've got my hat back, I love my hat. And you never really find out what's happened to the rabbit. <laughs> Another animal comes to ask the bear, have you seen a rabbit? Oh, I haven't seen a rabbit. I don't know any rabbit around here. Please don't ask me any more questions. And, and basically the whole book is around the fact that this bear's lost his hat. Already a brilliant concept. A bear has a hat. Beautiful. The hat is simply a red triangle. Beautiful. And then he kills and eats a rabbit <laughs> to get it back. And it's brutal. And there's no morals in that. There's no... I suppose there is. There's don't steal a hat. Don't steal a hat from a bear. That's a very important moral. If you're a kid and you see a bear with a hat, don't go near the bear in the first place. Definitely don't take its hat. But then the bear kills and eats a rabbit and everyone just goes, that's the end now. That's life. That's what you get your comeuppance. <laughs> Have you pointed that out to your daughter? Like, that that's probably what the subtext is or are you just leaving it for her to... I'm going to wait until she's a bit older. Um, I do sort of try and say, see in the rabbit or something, you know, sort of throw it in. But she, again, 15 months old is a bit too young. I think hopefully she'll get it. Um, in the, uh, yeah, in the play, they dealt with it quite brutally, if I remember. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating because I think also what we forget is, uh, and, and this comes up a lot in Comedy Club for Kids, pa- parents forget how nonchalant kids are about death because it's so... They don't nothing to them. They don't understand it. They're so immortal at that age. You know, they don't care or think about it. And they're quite gruesome. Kids are quite gruesome when they talk about, you know, older ones especially, oh, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to stab you in the face. Ah, oh, we've all got swords, we're all, you know, this and that. And they play knights or whatever. And and, uh, and and all the Roald Dahl books are incredibly gruesome. All the Grimm stories are incredibly gruesome. There's something very funny about it to children. Um, even though it's really quite horrible. Uh, it makes me laugh, though, every single time, so... Uh, not good. not having children um, and not knowing the books. Uh, although this one seemed vaguely familiar when when I came across it, um, I looked up and all all of your books on this list bar one are on YouTube. Like people have just read them out. Some people some people um, some of the authors have read their own books out on YouTube, which seems a bit counterintuitive to me because they might get yeah. sales. But this one is on there and it's been. The original artwork has been taken and has been sort of beautifully animated, uh, so that all all the creatures are sort of vaguely moving and walking, and and it was a real good watch. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good! I, I had no idea that these were on you. I can't believe I've spent the time reading them out to my daughter. They could have just <laughs> been playing them endlessly. Um, that's fascinating, isn't it? How funny! I I um I thought you were going to say they're all written by men, which they are, and I'm very aware of that. They're, except for one, there's one written by a woman. There seems to be an incredible... Apart from Julia Donaldson, whose kids' books I'm not bothered by. Sorry, controversial controversial statement. She's the Gruffalo writer. Um, this is, it's mostly male writers, um, but maybe that's because we're all just giant boys. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's fascinating about it being on YouTube. I had no idea. So do, have you watched them all on YouTube? I've watched all except for your second one on YouTube. Um, so I've had to rely on someone else's uh, review. But yeah, they're all quite enjoyable. Although some of them were read by kids, and that was just a bit. Oh, Why would they do that? Kids are rubbish. Couldn't find a better version that was short because I had a limited amount. For anyway, so also um, I see that this has got a couple of sequels. Have you dipped into the sequels? I have. Now the second one, which I can't remember the name. Uh, of this now. is not my hat. This is not my hat. That's it. I don't love that one as much. It's still it's good. It's not as good. But the third one is amazing. And I suppose it's quite like a lot of trilogies, isn't it? Where the middle one is simply a 
Just a, a bridge. bridge. Yeah, except it's, it, they're all individual stories. So it's not really a bridge, but it, that's about a little fish who's stolen um, a giant fish's hat. And his whole thing is, this is not my hat. I have found it. I stole it from a big fish, but he's asleep and he doesn't know where I am. And the big fish, of course, wakes up and knows exactly where he is and a crab points him in the direction. And then, again, he eats the little fish. But it sort of feels like the story told, from, the similar to the first story, but told from the other point of view. I'm not as bothered. The third story, though, is beautiful because it's We Found a Hat. Um, and it's about, uh, what are the creatures now? They're like two, are they armadillos, I think. And they, um, they both find a hat. And they both really like the hat, but one of them is certain that it, that he should, you know, that the other one keeps talking about, oh, this is lovely, and the other one just keeps thinking about the hat. He just wants the hat, and then, as I'm telling this one quite badly, but uh, they they go to sleep, and one of them says, oh, are you asleep? And everyone's like, yeah, but he's not. He's looking at a hat, and he says to the other one, are you asleep? He said, yeah, I'm having a dream that we both have hats. And the other one thinks, oh, that's too nice. And then just goes and lies next to him and they both go to sleep. And it's, it's beautiful. It's about sharing and it's about being thoughtful. And that's got a whole lovely different set of messages to it. Um, it's very beautifully uh, drawn. All of them are very beautifully drawn. He's got a lovely uh, style of artwork. But yes, the middle one. Can't quite get to grips with that. Not sure why. The first two between them, apparently, have sold a million copies worldwide, uh, been translated into 22 languages and... Um the author, John Classen, was also the first person to win for the same book, uh, the American Caldecott Medal and the British Kate Greenaway Medal, which sound like good things. I'm not really... They do. I have no idea what either of those are. Sounds fabulous, uh, doesn't it? So, that's quite awesome, yeah. It's good. Also, there's a lot of... Um, actually, I've got a few on here that are written and drawn by the same person, but that seems to be a rare thing now in the world of children's books. Like you, If you're a children's author, I know, because I've inquired about writing children's books, and, um, and, and they tend to assign you an illustrator. And uh, I, I like it when it's all one person. You sort of go, then you've got their full imagination in it. You know, it's their full image. And that's really nice. And do you, do you have the skills to illustrate your own, do you think? I love drawing. I used to, um, I think in my choice in life, neither which I ended up doing. But uh, it was kind of, when I was a kid, it was either going to be sort of art and artist stuff. and But more sort of cartoonists and graphics and... Um, and or, or drama. And then uh, I've done stand-up comedy, sort of nowhere in between like <laughs> the pound shop version of either um, but yeah I, I, I'd love to do it I used to um, there was a, a brief time in my life as well where I, I did spray painting and stuff like that uh, which is terrible but um, I, I'm a big fan of artwork a big fan of drawing and I, I'd love to get, have an excuse to get back to doing it but I've got I've definitely got one very strong idea for a kids book which again I've talked to someone about before but it, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of getting someone else to draw it I want to do it <laughs> yeah sure so well, could you just make it and see yeah, and what you need for that is time and yes. uh, sleep. Time and sleep, and and with all these things, it's like well, if you if if you let me make it, then I'd get money to make it, and I could allocate the time. But without the time, I'll get one day. I'll have sleep, and all these things will sort into place. It'll be fine. Yeah, I keep telling myself exactly the same thing. <laughs> so, second book on the list. Yeah, now this book um, is probably the reason you couldn't find it. It's like out of print, and we found it. Um, no, in fact, my mum found it in a charity shop and bought it for my daughter. And I couldn't believe how unbelievably funny it was. Right, it's it's so funny. And this book's called Oliver by Robert Krauss, who apparently I think wrote for is it the New the New Yorker or the New York Times? I don't know if you've got that in your info. I probably should have written it down, but I didn't. Um, but he's he's a satirical sort of artist and writer for for that. 
But this well, this book is amazing. Um, it simply start, it starts with a little a little owl saying, um, oh, "I have no mother. I have no father. I am an orphan." Right, that's quite a dramatic start for a kids' book. It's a little owl. He's putting his wings over his eyes and doing these kind of dramatic gestures. And I'm standing, and oh my god, what kind of children's book is this? And then the next page, it immediately says, "You do have a father," said Oliver's father. And then his mother says, "And a mother," said Oliver's mother. And Oliver says, "I know. I'm just acting. I like <laughs> acting." And I thought, what an incredible book <laughs> this already is. Um, and it's beautiful because it's all about the. It's it's not again. It's not really a kids' book in some ways because it's about the expectations of parents. Because his mother is delighted he wants to be an actor and gets him acting lessons and tap dancing lessons. And his father wants him to be a lawyer or a doctor. And so he gets him lawyer or doctor gear. And he ends up putting on a play as a lawyer and a doctor who never meet because he plays both parts. And, uh, and then, of course, they both want him to be one or the other. I'm sure he'll be a lawyer or a doctor, says his father. I'm sure he'll be an actor, says his mother. And then it gets to the end of the book and says, do you know what Oliver ended up being? A fireman. And it's got him putting out a fire in a bird's nest. <laughs> but it's, again, it's that, that thing of all the pressures that are put on you by parents. that They don't just let you kind of get on with your own thing. Out of his getting on with acting because he's enjoying it as a child, but it might not be what he wants to do. It's sort of his, uh, he should be allowed to explore his life. You know, and I think, I think it's a really nice message for parents, actually. Yes, yeah, so it's as much more for the parents as it is for the children, isn't it? It's educating them. Absolutely. But again, loads for children in that when he's acting, he acted all day and he acted all night. It's got him pretending to be various different types of birds and flying with a herd of bats, trying to make his wings like a bat. You know, lots of silly kind of imagery like that, of this owl trying to be something that isn't an owl. And that, my daughter finds that very funny. Um, so again, just perfectly balanced. It's really good. Really good. So this is quite an old book, 1974, and I'm sure, I'm sure I must have heard it. Or it sort of rings vague bells, so I think I must have heard it when I was a kid. Um, but a, this, this is the one that I couldn't find on YouTube, so I looked up some reviews. Most of them quite positive. Megan Dorcas uh, said it was absolutely adorable. Um, but Jennifer Ranger was one of the rare ones I could find that, that wasn't very happy with it. <laughs> oh, uh, Jennifer. This was on Goodreads. She said, uh, this is a really cute story up until the ending. Unfortunately, the final page has nothing to do with the rest of the story. So. Oh, wow. I she, feel like Jennifer there has completely missed the plot of a children's book. That's she didn't like nice. the denouement, denouement. But then I thought maybe she is a child. Maybe she couldn't put the... Uh, Sure, that Oliver found his own direction in life. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's quite sad. I, hope, I sort of hope Jennifer's gone on to do what she wanted to do. Maybe she's been... Maybe it's a sort of bitterness. Maybe she's stuck in a family business that she doesn't want to be in and couldn't understand that anyone else could ever achieve something different. I don't know. Or maybe she wanted to be an actress and ended up doing something that... Absolutely. Been an maybe actress. she's just thick. Maybe. It's also, also incredibly... <laughs> Or, or someone ripped out the last page of the book, replaced it with something completely different, like the end of War and Peace. Or, Never you know. <laughs> that. That'd be an awful trick to, to play it on her. But uh, poor Jennifer. Poor Jennifer. It's all right, there are other books out there. So on the subject of other books, do you think she would prefer your next book? My next book is really simple. I, I said that it's... Do you know what? That like After everything I said about it, working on T-levels, this book is entirely for kids, and I absolutely love it. It's, recent, it's a rhyming book. It's called Ten Little Monsters. Uh, it's by Michael Brownlow uh, with picks by Simon Rickety. And um, it's, it's simply a rhyming book, right? It's simply a rhyming book about ten little monsters and they, you know, bad things happen to each and every one of them until there's only one little monster. 
Um, I, some of it's just confined to memory. Ten little monsters waking from their sleep, blinking in the candlelight in the castle deep, going trick-or-treating, <laughs> will they frighten you? Ten little monsters all shout boo. But it is such good rhyming, and it's good rhyming that manages to include uh, a werewolf, uh, a hungry raven, an evil robot... Um, it's it's got a bit where zombies break down the door and take one of them, which I feel like is introducing my daughter to horror at a really young age, which is fantastic. That's what I want. I'm I'm a big zombie movie fan. I always have been, and uh, I love that it's got a zombie. I can get her to do the groan noise of a zombie horn now when we get to that page, um, and she goes through each page with the noise of the creature. And of course, it gets to the end, and it was all uh, a trick or treat kind of joke. I mean, this is meant to be a Halloween book, but we read it all year round. Um, you know, all the monsters are obviously fine. Um, but it's just lovely. It's really lovely animation. It's sort of a very cartoony. I, I'm not very good at describing different types of art. It's almost pop arty, which is really good. There's lots of little detail to every little page. Everywhere you look, there's a little cat hidden or a little pumpkin head or something. And again, my daughter loves pointing out hundreds of things on one page. Um, and it's funny because there are loads of others in the series that I don't think are as good. Uh, they've done 10 Little Superheroes, which have got my daughter again, because I'm a big Marvel fan, and uh, it's fine. The rhyming's not as good. <laughs> but this one is properly great. Um, I, don't, I don't really have a lot to say about other than that. I just, I, we can read this in succession. I don't mind it. And it seems like there's like call and response potential in there as well. Like there's yeah. some bits that. As a parent, you almost seem obliged to stop reading and let the child pick up because they're such obvious. Well, absolutely. Like she's yeah. So she, she there's at least one noise on every page that she'll shout before we can even get there, which is great. And and actually, I say that that like the superheroes one wasn't as good, but the superheroes one has got uh, ten little superheroes all say pow, and now my daughter's going pow just all the time, <laughs> which is uh, which is brilliant fun. So yeah, I, I think that there's definitely there's there's a learning aspect to it, um, but more than that, it's just. It's properly lovely and silly, you know. Uh, it's nice. There's a giant spider and there's witches doing a witch's brew, and it just really works on all levels of imagination uh, and uh, uh, of all kind of taking all the horror tropes and putting them into one little book. And I, I just I really respect that. I think they've done a very good job. Um, but yeah, whether or not that should be number three, I don't know because it doesn't work on two levels. It hasn't got the same like beauty that say I want my hat back or out if I have. But I, I just bloody love it. Bloody love it. <laughs> so you're saying number three. So is this, have we been working from the top down? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. It's tricky though. As I said, like after we get past the first two, yeah. I kind of just like all the rest equally, um, which, does that ruin the top ten? Do no, I not to, at all. They do don't have to, to be ranked. specifically either. say which ones are awful? No, it's your top ten. This is, if this is the way to do it. This, this is, is what always happens. This is why I'm terrible in top tens. I, I did um, a thing not that long ago with, where it was like, choose your top three music tracks and it broke me I had to make I made like four A4 pages of like different lists and I had to take them out semi-finals and a final and, oh, brilliant. and uh, it was, it was I, I find it difficult because I like always absorbing different stuff and I like things at different times and you know this certain music's good at certain like seasons and <laughs> how do you just choose three of anything uh, which is so tricky but um, but yeah at least at least with this my, my daughter only really has a limited amount of books at the moment so it's like it's a bit easier dwelling on Michael Brownlow just a little longer you could have made a top 10 just out of his books um, on this on a similar sort of so you said 10 little monsters is the one you chose you said also about the superheroes but in the same 10 little series there are pirates princesses dinosaurs elves monsters Aliens, bookworms, and monkeys, as well as robots, and also Michael Brownlow could be someone you could get on 
your podcast because uh, he won the National Association of Local Councils Councillor of the Year 2017 and is a Green Party member. Oh my goodness, he's a councillor. That does also kind of show you how councillors don't necessarily do that much work. That's the only thing. Because like, if he's had time to write 10, 10 little whatever books, mate, what are you doing about the bins? Do you know well, what I mean? Like that's he must have a lot of boring meetings to be in. I think I would if I if I had yeah. A lot I mean, I, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate because really the idea of a councillor with that level of imagination and playfulness just gives me joy. I'd much prefer people in, in local government that have that kind of uh, you know enjoyment of life and childish sort of sensibilities. But yeah, I do also worry. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be a point where like. Michael, this development still hasn't been built, and yet you're on ten little princesses. Like, come on, mate. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's printing off books. <laughs> I wonder if there's a ten little councillors one to come. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? How yeah. they just keep getting, I don't know, but taken away by various elections and, oh. and planning meetings and scandals, and yeah, that's good. Come on, Michael. So fourth on the list. Fourth uh, is Oi Frog by uh, Kez Gray and Jim Field, and it's just a beautifully silly book. Um, the premise of which is uh, that a frog wants to sit on a map, but it's not allowed to, says the cat, because it has to sit on something that rhymes with frog, um, and then plays on that for an entire book. I would argue two pages too long. <laughs> I'm going to be really picky here, but it's beautiful. It goes through all the different, um, you know, the frog wants to sit on a sofa. No, 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 gophers sit on sofas. Hares sit on chairs. Mules sit on stools. Um, my favourites are newts sit on flutes and lizards sit on wizards. Um, it gets quite ridiculous. Um, but it's just a, a lovely notion. It's, it's what I really like about, um, and something that we advise kids to do when we teach them to, doing stand-up comedy with Comedy Club Kids uh, in our workshops, is to take an idea and run with it and expand on it. Don't just let the joke die with one line. There's always more to it than that. And this book plays with that perfectly. It says, here is the joke that a cat sits on a mat and we're, you know, and that's a ridiculous notion that a cat has to sit on there, but a frog wants to, what happens now? Let's run with this and see all the different other things. Bees sit on keys, <laughs> gibbons sit on ribbons. Let's just run with it as many different animals as possible. And it, it makes me laugh immensely. And, and um, my daughter loves fleas sitting on peas. That's her favourite, but they have to have a, a magnifying glass looking at it so you can see. Um, but it's just really nicely silly and, and the constant battle the characters of the cat and the frog are, are lovely this cat is very sort of didactic must play by the rules but the frog just wants to have a comfortable sit down so he doesn't get he doesn't want to sit on a log because he gets splinters in his bottom um, and uh, yeah and I just find it very funny and, and there's a lot of sequels to this book and, and we've got one of them and I, it feels like you've taken the joke too far now. <laughs> this, is, this is how picky I am as a bloody... I'm such an arsehole. If you, like, this is why I can't go see other people's gigs or plays. I have to sit in the back and go, oh, I wouldn't have done the joke like that. What a dick. <laughs> um, but, it, but, it, but for this one, brilliant. Properly impressed. This seems to be the case with a lot of them, though, doesn't it? Uh, they, the authors write a decent book. Like the last one we saw, the Michael Brownlow ones. Um, if the format works, then hey, vlog it. Yeah, it's the sort of fast and the furious uh, disease, isn't it? Where it's, you know, we've got, we can't just have one of these, it's popular, we've got to have six billion. Sometimes it doesn't need more than that story, though. Sometimes the story doesn't need to be told again. I mean, I'm judging the sequels of Void Frog based on one of them. The, the other two might be great. And I'll probably still get them, because my daughter really loves them, so, uh, you know, what can I do? I'm a sucker for it. But this one book was the one joke and I'm fine with that and I like it for even that as I said probably got two pages t too many when you're reading it you really feel like uh, can it just cut two pages out I don't know which ones though because I really like all of them but um, 
Yeah, four books of it is probably a bit much. Although it varies, you know, when you're being told to read the story again, again, at least flipping the book might liven up a bit. That is very true. And, and I mean, the one that we've got, um, which is Oikat, like, the storyline has slightly changed in that the frog is now somehow in charge and the cat is no longer allowed to sit on a mat. So they do, you know, they're working all the angles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, again, it's beautifully illustrated. I've really enjoyed the picture of the lion sitting on the iron because it looked like it was going up his bum. That really appealed to the kid yes, in me. absolutely. I know, I know. And especially also it's followed by the frog going, ouch, you know, which is, <laughs> yeah, it's really good, really good. And also I'd recommend visiting kesgray.com, uh, the author's website, because he's put up um, all of his various collections. Um, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I've not seen this. Bumblegum card, pog this is amazing. And he's got like old Spice Girls uh, packets of crisps that he's displaying. It's fabulous collecting. I'm, I'm a collector of crap myself. And Are you? That's, I mean, that's amazing. I, I dream of uh, collecting that sort of... I, I have no space for this. I've had to see, get rid of all... I, I had CDs for a long time. I just had thousands and thousands of CDs of all different music. And now they're in various crates at my parents' house waiting to be taken away, as they tell me every time I see them. Um, but yeah, but I mean that's beautiful. But I'm the same with CDs. I've just got a cupboard full of them. Don't know what to do with them because they're all digitised. Yeah, but the problem with digitised is like, see, I've got CDs that are like signed by like Pete Rock and C.L. Smith. I've got one signed by Gwen Stefani for something. But all these sort of things that you go, well, I can't get my MP3 signed, and I can't stick my gig tickets in them. I haven't got the same sort yes. of memories, and you know, beautiful ones that have got artwork in and the linear notes oh, I love all that but yeah no space for them ever anymore but I, I wonder it's funny you showed me that Ken's great thing I wonder if all you know every time he had an animal and he couldn't work out what they sit on he just looked at his walls and went there's something that like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, you've got to wonder if that's where the kind of yeah what could sit on bubblegum card <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> so next on the list uh, this is Banana by Ed Veer Ed Ver Ed Vere. I don't know how you pronounce it it's V-E-R-E it's probably got a fancy pronunciation, but a veer is what I'll go for in my crap North London inability to pronounce these things. Um, banana is, uh, this is really simple. Um, it's, it's only got one word in it. Well, that's not true. So two words in it. Uh, but it's about a monkey who's eating a banana. Another monkey would like to eat that banana. The monkey won't let him have the banana. And then uh, he says, please, it cries a lot. And then he goes to offer him the banana and the second monkey steals the banana and then there's a moment of tension and then they share the banana. And that is it. But basically, apart from one page where the word is please, every other page just has banana, 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 <laughs> said in a different way. And I, I just sort of feel like that's... Uh, I don't, I don't know what you'd call that, but you know, working with one word and showing everything that you can do with that one word not only really hammers the word into my daughter's head, and really, she really learned the word banana from that, <laughs> and um, you know, and what it looks like. Uh, but also, it is that thing of like, um, and, and this is a really weird tangent. But uh, there's a film called Three Kings that Spike Jones did. Though, if you're sorry, it was, uh, Spike Jones, Ice Cube. Oh God, I can't remember. George it Clooney. Is George it? Clooney is George Clooney, is and then Wahlberg. Is there a Wahlberg in there? There might be. No, I don't know if there is a Wahlberg in there. I can't remember. But there's, there's, there's um, I think it might be Spike Jones that's in it as well. It's someone like that who's also... But, but there's a, there was a... This is really obscure. There was a DVD of it when it came out, and one of the extras on it was Ice Cube doing acting tips. And his acting tip was a 10-minute long film of tri him trying to get the line right, which was just, here, take this bag. But he does it, he takes the piss, and he kind of does, here, take this bag! Here, take this bag! 
Here, take this bag! And he just, in every different way possible, trying to feel it, trying to understand the motivation for giving someone a bag, and it reduces me to, like, tears. It was amazing. You can't get it anymore because no one sells a DVD, and it's not on the internet, which makes no sense. But again, this book, Banana, is that thing of just going... This is one word. We can put so many emotions. This can be said in so many different ways. This shows you all the different ways that this can be said. Just go for that. And uh, again, I don't particularly know if there's much fat adults in that, apart from that you get to, if you're like me, an ex-drama student, just get to wankily try and say it in different ways and amuse yourself. But uh, it's good. The, the drawings are amazing. They're probably brilliant, probably colourful. And uh, I really like Edvis. Oh, he's got another lovely book called Mr Big, who's all about a lonely gorilla who uh, is so lonely that he plays jazz piano at night and people hear the music for his jazz piano and think, who's this amazing jazz musician? And then end up forming a band and he gains loads of friends. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so no, just a fan, just a fan of that one. And are you drawn to the more sort of performance-related books? Are they, do they, uh, does being able to sort of get into the characters and perform sort of make it more interesting for you as the reader? Absolutely, but that's only because it plays to my pathetic ego. Um, I can do different voices for all of them in different ways of reading it. Of course, it, it makes it a lot more fun. Um, you sort of hope it makes it more fun for her, my daughter as well. Probably, she, again, she's probably already embarrassed. But, but um, no, yeah, it's... Contraire. Surely, <laughs> surely at that age, it's my dad's the best thing in the world ever, especially when he reads and puts on all the funny voices. Yeah, hope so. It's, uh, I think she's mainly angry that I won't let her push a corn stick into my PlayStation 4. Uh, <laughs> the other day she got very upset at me that I would not let her do such a thing. <laughs> so, you know, Stands to reason. What? Yeah, why wouldn't I let her destroy that piece of equipment that I really like? There's my one bit of escapism <laughs> when she's gone to bed. And is she providing good material for your stand-up? Yes, she has already, actually. But it's, it's tricky because so many stand-ups have done material about being a parent. Course, and obviously, yeah. it's all individual because all our kids are individual and everyone's individual. But I'm still trying to find ways of doing it differently, um, which at the moment, it's a bit grim, isn't it? I'm, I'm trying to... We're talking about this. It's why I love the absolute joy of some of these books and, and the joy of doing kids' comedy. But my adult material is all about trying to find the positive in how miserable the world is. And actually, having a kid is a good way to look at that, trying to find what the positive is for her. You know, considering she's going to have to live through fire tsunami, hailstorms of climate change, and you know, so it's like, how do I find a way to laugh at this when actually we should cry? Um, so yeah, but it's good. It's she definitely. It's impossible. I think. I think. Of, you, you, well, actually, not all comedians. Some comedians write about character things, also. You know, whatever they want to do. But I, I can only write about stuff that affects me, and right. it is my life. My life right now is being a parent. You know, I can't escape that <laughs> all day long and all night long. Um, so I have to write about it. You know, it's, it's all I've got to think about. So, uh, and it's almost a built-in caveat, isn't it? Look, I'm really tired because I'm a parent, but look, here is my tired thoughts on the subject. You're almost getting yourself a, a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card there, aren't you, by referencing it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had to... My, my daughter, was when she was born, she was born two weeks later than planned, and I had left a certain gap for self-employed parental leave. And, um, but by the time she was born, I only had six days and I had to start supporting Frankie Boyle at Leicester Square Theatre. Okay, okay. And I was walking on stage to 450, 500 people, whatever it is at night, so broken that I've never written... I, I, I wrote the quickest five, ten minutes of comedy I've ever written in my life, which was about 
suddenly becoming a new parent and having an inability to remember or doing things I've not slept. And that gave me, yeah, an absolute excuse. I, I get out of a comedy free card in that whenever I then went into other jokes about politics and I forget them halfway through because I was so tired, the audience would just find it hysterical <laughs> because here's a knackered dad who's trying desperately to hold it together. And But, I, the, I, you know, the first few lines of that, which um, still working now, touch wood, um, but I wrote that so quickly. Almost like just survival, which is nuts. I've not had to write comedy for survival before. But your output's prodigious, isn't it? The amount you write a week just for your podcast is, what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a week? Yeah, but it's because, but that, yeah, it's, it's um, partly boredom and a sort of uh, not quite attention deficit, sort of, but I get really bored of my own stuff. And I also, uh, I mean, we're going to go into a whole different thing here, but like at the moment, the world is so tumultuous and all over the place and uh, just terrifying that I find that I have to keep writing to keep on top of it, kind of for my own sanity, really, um, because I find there's a lot of topical, whimsical stuff that I don't care about because things are too terrifying. I can't enjoy what your favourite spoon is or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> this hilarious bus journey you had because everything's on fire and it's terrifying. And, and in my own head, like, I... I um, uh, catastrophize I can never say that quite right catastrophize catastrophize is the, that's where it is catastrophize this is why we need banana see books like that um, I catastrophize too much at the moment probably as a result as well of reading the news for the podcast that I do it probably also <laughs> adds to itself but um, it's if it, I find that easier to keep laughing at that rather than try and look at general more everyday observational stuff because I just don't care I don't feel like it's important uh, anymore. So I don't know how you could write about something that doesn't matter to you in the same way. So when it comes to uh, switching off from all of the horror that is the world, what sort of what sort of thing would you look at or read to get you out of this sort of... Well, Nathan, what I like to do is read the same book to my daughter 15 times in a row because it numbs my brain to the extent where I can't take in any news uh, and that's perfect. Um, which is actually the next one on my list is so weird that I would consider it escapism. I've got it on the list simply because it's. I talked about the Ten Little Monsters being like a horror, like it introduces to it. I genuinely think this book is a horror film. Yes, I agree. You you read it right, or you've seen it? Yes. It's terrifying, right? It's called Good Night Moon by Margaret Wise Brown, and it's it's batshit crazy. I don't understand it at all. I don't understand why my daughter likes it. I find it horrific. Um, it is the Great Green Room. And in the great green room was a telephone and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon and three little bears sitting on chairs. And was it a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush and a quiet old lady whispering hush. Ugh, who is she? Why is she there? Her strange rabbit face. Wait, there's strange rabbit faces. She's just this old lady sitting there whispering hush. Why is there a bowl of mush? What is it? How long has it been sitting there for? You know, what's going on? And then there's like two kittens and there's a young mouse, but the kittens don't go for the mouse. It's just, it feels like a David Lynch yes. set or something. Yes, definitely. And and the whole thing is, is that you go through all these absolutely random, completely unconnected objects. And then you say goodnight to all the completely random, unconnected objects. And then including, you say like goodnight moon and then goodnight nothing. I think it is, you say at some point, which doesn't make, why would you say goodnight to nothing and then it sort of ends. And somehow this is meant to be soothing for kids, but it must be on a subliminal way, or I don't, I don't get it. I find it terrifying. And uh, in, in that respect, I enjoy it. But and, and I think this is one that I also remember from my childhood, and 
whereas Oliver was 1974, this one's 1947. So both of those books have endured count, you know, how many, how many children's books have come between then and now that have just fallen by the wayside. So despite the weirdness, despite the off-kilter sort of sense of it, it's, it's something that is still getting read to children all these years on. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, I got given a copy by my cousin, uh, so her two kids had read it. Um, and I don't, I didn't have any sort of memory of it at all. But yeah, I don't, my daughter likes it. Um, I don't necessarily know if it calms her ready. To, I don't know if her saying goodnight to me does get her ready for bed at all. Um, but she's absolutely not bothered by the fact there's a creepy old lady just saying hush. I mean, that's terrifying. And do you read it in that voice? Uh, sometimes, yeah, uh, for my own enjoyment, again. Um, but it's weird, it doesn't make any sense to me. But then I, I do wonder if it's, it's like, again, I've sort of gained a new respect for shows, like CBU shows, or shows like Teletubbies, or In the Night Gun, which are absolutely just completely fucking crazy. But, um, you know, kids connect to them on a different level, because it is very basic, and it is bright colours, and it's simple things that they suddenly engage with and, and you, said, oh, you go how have you, these people have got into a kid's brain and made it for them and maybe that's what Margaret Wise Brown did or it's just so weird that we've had to pretend that it's a kid's book because it's the only way to cope with how absolutely terrifying it is oh I've not even considered that yeah maybe she wrote it as an adult horror novel or just the inner workings of her mind and we all had to go it's a children's book I promise <laughs> otherwise you know it would just cause you to crumble and the, the phrase bowl of mush is just beautiful. I love the... Isn't it? But I don't understand why it'd be on the table with a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush. Other than the rhyme, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It's all but Sometimes, like, I, I'm fully up for getting rid of all reason. No rhyme or reason. But kind of, you want it, the rhyme to work. But it's so weird. The whole book is so weird that it just makes it more weird. Yeah. That oh. that's the rhyme. There must be nothing that rhyme with brush. I mean, I'm trying to think of any... Right, no. I just can't get past the David Lynch. I want to see him make a film version. It'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like the bits in Twin Peaks where they're in the other place with the little guy that rubs yes. his hands together and talks backwards, but it's really forwards and backwards at the same time. Yes, absolutely. It's rock. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So from Bowl of Mush to... Uh, Avocado Baby by John Burningham, which is... This is a book I got read. Uh, it's... Uh, Came out in 1982, I was born in 1981, and this is, um, this is a big book for me as a kid. I love this book, and I've chosen this. I mean, there's not a lot to tell about this book, really. It's about a baby who's from a very weak family. His whole family's really weak, which I find incredibly funny. The Hargreaves are just a weak family, and they didn't want a weak baby, and they have a weak baby who won't eat anything, and then they have an avocado pear. That shows you how old it is. No one calls them avocado pears anymore. So much so, I was on a podcast... I was recording last week with Alex Horn and I said the words avocado pear and he denied its existence. He said it was just an avocado. Wow. So, yeah. very uh, on topic for my current run of, of podcasts. How funny. Yeah, well, they, well, they, 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 well, you should have shown him this book and proved him wrong. Um, but, they, you know, they, what's, yeah, these kids sort of say, give this baby an avocado pear even though they've never bought one, which is mysterious. And then the baby gets super strength powers and fights off a robber and fights off bullies and tows a car and... Or because it eats avocados. And I think look, I, what I like, I like the silliness of this book. I like the silliness of a baby that suddenly gets super straight from avocados. It's very much like a sort of wholesome Popeye. Um, but also, I feel like 1982, you know, everyone talks today about hipsters being into avocados. The reason I'm into avocados is because at a young age, I thought if I ate them, I'd get super <laughs> strong. And I've never stopped eating them. 
because it's totally embedded into my brain. And I, I think you could probably, I'd love to know if you could trace the whole hipster avocado kind of uh, explosion into all the way back to this. Although the, I do find this, but this this almost was scarier than Goodnight Moon, this book. <laughs> that they're giving the baby an avocado that they don't know where it came from. It's just in the house. They don't know where it came from. It could be anything. And they're feeding it to the baby. But then there are burglars. You know, that's, that's a scary thing, isn't it? To have to explain. And then the baby throws bullies into a pond. And, you know, I think uh, I'd be scared. Yeah, I can see what you mean. I mean, the burglars is definitely a scary concept. But if you are a small child and you understand that maybe, yeah, maybe that's not a good thing to teach them that they could fight a burglar as long as they have an avocado. Oh, not even considered that angle. Yeah, that's actually going to end up... It's a very irresponsible book, isn't it? So yeah. give babies food that you don't know where it comes from. Let them fight burglars and bullies. I mean, I wouldn't even let the baby, our baby near a pond. She's a toddler now. I wouldn't let anyone near a pond. She'd throw herself into it head first. Let alone throw bullies into it. Yeah, I mean, now that you've sort of explained this, it does seem hugely irresponsible, very careless. Um, but again, these are things that you probably wouldn't understand as a child. Oh. I have only just realised it. So, I mean, <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's no quiet old lady whispering hush, you see, which I think that's still worse for me. Oh, but at least there was no, like, violence in that book. Is violence okay for babies doing it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting concept, isn't it? You know, because violence against the baby, bad. But if baby's causing violence, if, if the baby has absolutely no moral standpoint yet because it's a baby, does any violence that it carries out therefore matter? Oh, it depends. Were any burglars or bullies hurt, do you think? I mean, I assume so. I mean, that's the thing is, it's clear that the people the baby hurts are bad, bad people. And all the other things the baby does are pretty good, like it pushes a car when, when it's broken down, um, it toes something useful, doesn't it? I can't remember. And, you know, you go, so it's quite, help, quite a helpful baby. Uh, I've not considered the, the preamble, the setting the scene beforehand. It is a very good baby, isn't it? Yeah. It's like Falling Down. This, film, this book was like the film Falling Down, and this baby's just pushed to its limits yes. and has to react. That's it. That's yeah. it. It also feels like it has to stand up for the people. Like, no one else is able to deal with these bullies. No one else is dealing with this robot. His whole family's weak. Like, come on. If anything, this baby is a supportive baby, supporting it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of got the role of a carer, but in a, in a way that perhaps we haven't seen from carers before. Yeah, it's both a superhero and a horrible metaphor for ageing, getting old and your children looking after you. Absolutely. Or a metaphor for society. We don't have any of the uh, institutions that help people anymore. Social care's completely gone. If anything, we need babies to protect our homes. The police, police force have been cut. You know, uh, crime, crime is on the rise in many areas. We have to let babies deal with it. We've got Babies have to look after the family and lift things for them. And babies have to deal with burglars and bullies because, you know, if anything, children are having to go on climate strike marks, uh, climate strike m- marches. Um, I've got all my words confuddled. Um, climate strike marches, you know, because the future's in their hands. This baby is doing that. This baby's going, I'll eat avocados. I will fix the world. And I find that comforting as a useless adult. Someone else who could save the world are doctors. And um, your next book is a doctor book. But I just want to read this before you get onto it because Alexander Lang, uh, one of the collaborators on Dartmouth Jack-O-Lantern, whatever that was, wrote, You're wrong as deduce and you shouldn't rejoice. If you're calling him Seuss, he pronounces it Soyce or 
Zeus, apparently. Apparently, Dr. Seuss, as I always thought he was, apparently is Dr. Seuss. No. So... Wait, hang on. This throws a lot of things into... Are we reading all the rhymes wrong? Oh. Should it be Coit in the Hoyt or something like that? <laughs> Facts in sacks. Maybe. I don't know. There was something about anglicisation and Germanic origins or something. Oh, I've forgotten it all. wasn't his real name, though. Was it? I thought Dr. Seuss's real name was something else. And it Dr. was, and I didn't write that down because I'm not clever enough. Dr. Uh, the it doesn't matter, does it? Everyone knows him as Dr. Seuss. The Seuss Seuss yeah. bit was his middle name. Right. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Uh, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel. Can we stick to Seuss? Is that Absolutely. Right? I think so. For the sake of this podcast. He went to Oxford University, so... Um, I suppose he's probably got taught how to say it correctly there, maybe. Maybe, maybe yeah. Maybe that's how you pronounce it. Dr. Thwith. Ah, maybe yes. it's an Oxford thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe it was barracking from his peers. Absolutely, yeah. High-level high bullying. So, uh, which Dr. Seuss book? Uh, there's loads. This is I picked only this one because this is the one that my daughter reads. There's two that my daughter reads at the moment, uh, which is uh, Hop, 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 and this one, Dr. Seuss's ABC. Um, and I've picked this one. Uh, certainly, she's not quite ready for Cat in the Hat and Fox and all those other ones yet. Um, but very soon. But Dr. Seuss ABC, I simply love it again just because it is. Um, Dr. Seuss is amazing. The imagination that goes into Dr. Seuss books is unbelievable. Just these beautiful, fantastic lands of the most bonkers happenings. Um, what was that mad book of the. Uh, is it the Battle of Solus Salu or whatever? Which, you know, all about these different it's like a, a metaphor for kind of tribal <laughs> fighting but these weird creatures I've described this very badly but I remember being absolutely enchanted by that as a kid um, and I think all of them The Cat in the Hat is still just legendary but Dr. Seuss ABC is very simple um, in that it uh, just goes through the alphabet but with in the most inventive way possible all other alphabet books are like A is for apple B is for bear or whatever and this is this is bonkers this is I is for itchy itchy Ichabod you know and uh you know, what's it? Why is for yellow yak with yawning yellow, uh, yawning yellow yak with Yolanda on his back? You know, it's always the most extreme. And, and where there's something like, like, instead of thinking of a word that it could work with, he's just made up things that exist. So it includes a creature called a duck dog for D, uh, because why not? And Z is just a zizz as a zuz, because so that there's like zebras are boring. <laughs> I, I just love the absolute, like, you've almost, he's almost tried harder. Or put in more effort creating things for the letters to work with than just finding something. And I just, I applaud that. Um, the animations are beautiful. Uh, everything is, what's the, what's the one about, there's a, about an, an orange owl, but it's got O's for orange oil owl or something. And it, it's got someone putting a drop of oil on an owl's head. And you go, just for no reason. It's just, <laughs> just incredible. Um, the only problems I do have with this book, which are, I don't know when it was written. I don't know if you've got that in your facts. Um, but well, it was ages ago, probably, wasn't it? Uh, there's a the whole thing goes big A, little A. What begins with A? Um, I can't remember what the first one is like. Annie, something, something, something. A, A, A. Big B, little B. What begins with B? Something, 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 something. B, B, B. Right, and that's fine until you get to K when you have to end it with K, 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 and you suddenly go, ah, oh, that's a bit dodgy. Uh. Um, also, I find a big C is <laughs> not an easy one to find. Big C, is it? <laughs> okay, um, but generally, it's, it's brilliant. Probably love that one. And I found a, a although you know, Doctor Seuss did his own illustrations, um, and. The version I found on uh, YouTube that was being read out didn't have any of those, which was a shame. But 
it was beautifully read by Rick Mao. It was a real joy to hear him reading oh, it. it that's was a, amazing. It was a total surprise to me that it was him reading and it, it was lovely. Um, but something he did when reading it was referred to the last letter of the alphabet at one point as Z. Yes, that's what I do as well, though, because I can't bring myself to Americanise it. Because, obviously, it's meant to be big Z, little Z, what begins with Z, as this is as, 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 as you can plainly see, and there's this beautiful drawing of a made-up creature, this is as, as, as. But I, I can't, I can't do Z. I have to say big Z, little Z, and then, of course, it doesn't rhyme. But I'm not going to let my, my dog grow up with an American Z. That's I think all. he caveated it by using Z initially, and then when I think forced to use it for the rhyme, I think he went with Z, but... It was lovely. Yeah. I rec- really recommend looking looking that up. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't know that existed. We've definitely got to find that. That's great. Really good. I just don't think all of Dr. Seuss's works are that... In the, in the same way that, like, uh, uh, oh, I still do, but, like, I loved Harry Hill as a teenager, and just that being as absolutely silly as possible. Just taking that kind of Dardaist sort of... Yes. Just being full nonsense. Vic Reeves and, and you know, Bob Moore, that kind of... There doesn't have to be a reason for this. There doesn't have to be a reason that I've chosen this mad creation that I've got, you know, it just is. It just is, and that's the world that I'm in, and you have to go with that, and you have to accept it and get on board, and I, I just love that. It makes me very happy. So, Tiernan, what is your penultimate book? Uh, my penultimate book is uh, Manfred the Baddie by John Fardell, um, and ah, it's just, it's, this is a beautiful story about a the baddest baddie of them all, Manfred the Baddie, who kidnaps scientists and makes them build inventions to uh, raid art galleries and uh, steal people's stuff and all this. And um, he gets a cold. He gets a sniffle in his nose and no one will come and help him because he's got a cold. No one reads him a story. No one brings him soup. And the doctor has to explain to him it's because no one likes him because he's a baddie. And so he promises, oh, I'll be a goodie then. And uh, then becomes the goodest goodie of all uh, and uh, and changes his ways. Uh, And it's just... What's so lovely about this book is it plays on the all the notions you have as an adult of a villain. Like, you know, we're so used to Bond villains and kind of villains in all the films. And Manfred the Baddie is that sort of villain, but on a children's level. So he uh, he has a go at his henchmen when they bring him a chocolate and raspberry sandwich, but they haven't removed all the raspberry seeds. You know, it's just so beautifully petty. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just very silly. And, and, and again, that thing of... You know, this huge, powerful bad guy can be defeated by a tiny little sniffle in his nose. Um, it's just wonderfully imaginative. And it, it's got a really nice design in the book in that it, um, again, depending on how many times I have to read it to my daughter, you can read the main text, but there's also little um, comic book speech bubbles throughout on, in the animation, uh, not in the animation, the kind of comic drawings. And uh, first read, I'll do everything. Second read, I might just do the bit. <laughs> so you can vary it up, which is quite nice and handy. Yeah. And I love when he does send his henchman into the corner uh, for not putting, getting rid of all the raspberry seeds from, from his sandwich or what? Was it a sandwich? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's a, is it a chocolate and raspberry sandwich? I'm sure it's chocolate spread and raspberry sandwich. So for not getting rid of all the raspberry seeds, he sends his henchman into the corner and in the speech bubbles, the, the insults are just beautiful. Nincompoop, Baldy, Big Chin are the names yeah. that his other henchmen are forced to call the naughty henchmen. And that's beautiful, is it? When you compare, again, we've got that idea of, you know, villains, or even if you look at sort of comical villains like Doctor Evil, where it be sort of being thrown to robotic laser sharks or whatever, in this it's no stand in the corner and the other two will say, like, mean names at you. That's beautiful. And nincompoop is a much underused insult, I think. There Absolutely. should be a lot more nincompooping. Absolutely. And John Fardell, the author, um, was a regular, or 
he might still be a regular contributor to Viz, um, reads his own story and you, uh, on YouTube and you get shots intercut of him reading the story interspersed with shots of the book, which seems a bit counterintuitive for selling a lot more copies, but was a nice experience. And again, something I'd recommend people look up just to see what the guy looks like. That's, That's quite great. nice. So finally on your list, Tiernan, actually, before we come to that, um, I've heard you say elsewhere that your own name uh, is based on a story. And it'd be nice oh, to hear yeah. that one. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, the first name, yeah, Tiernan is... Um, well, it is, it, there's lots of different Tiernans, but the one that I or my parents call me from is, uh, is spelled completely different. It's spelled T-Y-R, and it's in the Mabinogen, the Welsh Mabinogen. Um, and Tiernan is a bit awesome in that. He There's uh, a giant monster that is um, stealing all the babies from the village. He puts his hand down the chimney and snatches babies and eats them, which is quite terrifying. And uh, Tiernan comes up with the incredible plan of making a baby out of straw, putting it in a house, and then when the monster puts his arm down, he cuts his arm off with a sword and then saves everyone and becomes Lord Tiernan of Cluid. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've tried to read it. It's, it's, the Welsh Mabinogen is beautiful, but... Um, I have tried to read a direct translation of it. I should, I'm sure there's easier translations. But when, because it's old language, when it's translated into current English, it's really bad. Like it says, on their horses they rode, and then on the horses they rode in, they rode in on their horses they did, on these horses they rode. Like, that's one paragraph of just telling you the same sentence over and over again. And so it's, it's quite hard to get through. But, um, but it's a good story to have your name come from. And was it something you were aware of as a child and something that sort of inspired you to be your best Tiernan? Um, I was probably a bit, yeah, probably a bit an older kid. Uh, my parents told me about it, but um, I don't know if that's what inspires me to be the best Tiernan. I think the fact that there's not many inspires me to be the best Tiernan. There's not many Tiernans as a first name, so it's sort of an easier competition. Um, I don't really know. I'm trying to think of any other famous Tiernan. I mean, there's quite a few people with Tiernan as a surname. Obviously, there's Tommy Tiernan, who's, uh, who's doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, John McTiernan, who's doing very well. Uh, there's not many other like Tiernans as a first name out there in the world so I think I'm mainly out of laziness just like there's there's only a handful of us so I reckon I can just be better than those anyway nice not not much competition is it no Uh, Nathan was quite an uncommon name when I was first named it and then it became more popular about 10 years later and suddenly every uh, supermarket I was walking through I was being or thought I was being shouted at and it turned out to be some naughty child but you were ahead of the curve. Like, you yeah. got to see yourself as a trendsetter. Like Avocado, maybe. Yeah. You got there first. So, Tim, and we get to your last book. What is... Interrupting your... Chicken. Yeah. Lovely. It's, uh, it feels appropriate to do that. Uh, Interrupting Chicken is a beautiful book by David Ezra Stein, which is, uh, again, the thing that you appreciate as an adult that a kid would, um, it, it subverts original tales. So it's all about a little chicken whose dad is trying to put her to bed and wants to read her, and she wants him to read her a story. But every story he picks up, she interrupts. So they do Hansel and Gretel, and every time you know that to get into Hansel and Gretel, the old witch coming to get them, and she suddenly goes, "No, don't! She's a witch!" And then Hansel and Gretel run away, and they're fine. The end. You know, she's always got to put a happy ending in, which I I like. I wish there was more of that in the real world. I'd love it if on the news every time there was a horrific story, <laughs> a little chicken just popped up and went, "Actually, everyone was fine in the end. Don't worry, go to bed. It'll be beautiful." Um, but also, what a nice. Way to rehash I think they go Little Red Riding Hood and Chicken Licking as well and each one is interrupted by uh, Interrupting Chicken um, giving a nicer ending warning Little Red Riding Hood about the wolf 
or just telling chicken, oh, it's just an acorn, don't worry, you know, and that's beautiful. Um, and then also, in the, the book ends with the dad getting quite exasperated and going, well, I've run out of books and you're still not ready for bed. Uh, you write your own story and um, the little chicken reads her own story about her dad and uh, he falls asleep through it. And I feel like that was the first book I read as a parent. I went, oh, yeah, you've summed this up quite well. That is how I feel all the time. I feel like, no, sod it, you do it. You do it. I'm going to have a sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's just nice. <laughs> and I couldn't decide if it was a bit plagiarising to bring in all the other stories or if it's nice postmodern sort of referencing all these different stories. As a reader, are you... How do you sort of sit on no, that? I, I sit on the latter, definitely. I thought it was a really nice way of making... I mean, I suppose the only thing I feel conflicted with is that my daughter doesn't yet know the original right, stories. Right, yeah. Um, which may become problematic at a point, but then it might be quite nice to be able to read them to her, unless she just interrupts them, because that's all she'll know to do. Um, but I thought it was a really nice imaginative way of saying that sometimes we need a happier ending, you know, or, or a nicer outcome. Um and I quite enjoyed that. I think it's also, I think, I uh, should say, it's so beautifully drawn. Yes. The artwork in it is stunning. And also, there's different artwork for all the original books, and then there's different artwork at the end for Little Chicken's own book. It's just stunning. It's just lovely to look at pages and go, oh, you've spent so much time on this. It's, it's and one um, author that I've included in this, because, again, my daughter's a little bit too young, but um, in fact, there's two, um, Oliver Jeffers and Sean Tan, and all their work, like... I almost don't want to give it to my daughter to read because it's too... She, we gave her an Oliver Jeffers book and she tore a page off it. I was like, no, this is artwork. In, like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I find it so tragic. But Interacting Chicken is just every page. You just go, oh, this looks lovely. So nice. So, Tina, as we bring this to a close, are there any things you want to flag up that are going on in your life that other people could tune into or visit or be part of? Uh, I'm not doing the Edinburgh Fringe this year because I'm not a millionaire. But I am doing the Camden Fringe. I'm doing August the 4th and 5th at the Camden Comedy Club. I'm doing what will be sort of an hour of new stuff. Um, And then I'll probably be doing that more after the summer once I work out what I'm doing with it. Um, Also, there's my weekly podcast, which is partly political broadcast, which is... um, about all the miserable stuff in life rather than interrupting chickens. Um, I should really start doing that in the podcast. I'm going to start looking at stories <laughs> and then halfway through cutting into it and giving a nicer ending. Um, but yeah, that's always ongoing. I'm always on Twitter endlessly. I'm always doing, I'm just always doing stuff all the time. Look, look me up if I come and find me. Tiernan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That was Tiernan Duyeb's 10 favourite children's books. Thanks again for your company. You can support the pod by rating and subscribing or donating on Patreon. Check out the website nathan.show forward slash my top 10 pod. You can follow my top 10 pod on Twitter and Instagram. Next time, drummer extraordinaire Emily Dolan Davis. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>